nationwide keyword, luck, L-U-C-K, luck, to 200-200. You'll get a text-confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply. That's luck, to 200-200. Good luck. Someone's going to get offended. It's just the way the world works. So to hopefully save everyone a little time and or energy, here's this. The opinions that you hear are those of the host and callers and not those of iHeartMedia, its management, or advertisers. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Phillips File, broadcasting high atop the iHeartMedia complex on WTKS-FM, HD1, Cocoa Beach, Orlando. Available anywhere you go on the iHeartRadio app. Download it now. Groundbreaking. Critically acclaimed. And now, The Phillips File. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Yeah, it is. It's the uh, Phillips File. This one for Wednesday. That's March 21st, the year 2018. We uh, do away with the normal show opening on these Wednesdays because we are devoting our attention on Wednesdays now for the first 45 minutes or so on Wednesdays to concentrate on the uh, heroin and opioid crisis here in Central Florida. This is interview number four in this ongoing series of interviews that aim, as I said, to ascertain the seriousness of the opioid and heroin addiction problem that we have in Central Florida. Our guest today is Carol Burkett. uh, Ms. Burkett is the director of the Orange County Drug-Free Office in 2005. Carol, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking some valuable time to join us this afternoon let's get let me just uh, go back what is what what is the what is the the drug-free office and why was that created was it created when you came aboard did just, when did that happen yeah just about uh, mr phillips first of all thank you for dedicating this time every week we really appreciate the awareness that you're creating um, across Central Florida on this epidemic. Um, the coalition, the, the drug-free office is a very small office. The mm-hmm. larger umbrella is the Orange County Drug-Free Coalition. Okay. Uh, it was created by uh, former Chairman Mel Martinez mm-hmm. because actually in 1999, we led the state in heroin overdoses. And so it's ironic we're talking about this again. Um, coalitions were something new in the state, and he wanted to address the problem comprehensively, not just heroin, but all other drugs, and that's how it got started, bringing in key community leaders from across multiple jurisdictions and expertise. So you come in in 2005, and uh, we have this problem. Uh, Mel Martinez, then the chairman of the Orange County Commission, I believe, he, he sees this problem going on in Orange County. But compare that then to what's going on now in Orange County. I know you can't speak for the other four counties in the central Florida area, or maybe you can, but Orange County itself, what have you seen? Drastically different from where we were back in the early 2000s, we did have a heroin problem. In the state, there was about 200 Mm -hmm. heroin overdoses, overdose deaths. Um, And again, Orange County led the state. Now in Florida, in 2016, we had 950 Mm. heroin-related deaths. We had even more fentanyl-related deaths. Wait a minute, go back back again. 950, what's the time frame? Uh, 2016. We had 950 heroin heroin overdose deaths? Deaths in the state of Florida. Okay. Yeah, sir, yeah. And Orange County itself. And Orange County had um, 
And just to give you a little um, a little history, because Mayor Jacobs convened the Orange County Heroin Task Force in 2015 mm-hmm. because we saw such an issue in our area. And at that time, in, in 2014, we had 90 heroin-related deaths, which was more than any other county in the state. And knowing Miami, Palm Beach, larger than we are, we had more right here in Central Florida and Orange County. Um, jump ahead, 2015, we it increased to 85 heroin-related deaths mm-hmm. for Orange County. And then we saw a little bit of a decrease. We went down to about 66. But unfortunately, at the same time, fentanyl really came onto the street and was starting to be cut with heroin, and that number increased. So we saw about 68 fentanyl-related deaths in 2016. Fentanyl is, I don't know, is fentanyl the the animal tranquilizer that they that they now mix with heroin? Is that right? It's um, It takes on a lot of different forms. So fentanyl is actually a prescribed drug. Okay. It's used for cancer patients, okay. for those with palliative right. care. And it typically comes as a as a lollipop, a transdermal patch for, for patients that's right. slow release. This is illicit fentanyl with the precursor chemicals coming from China being made in these clandestine labs and mixed with heroin because it's the same white substance. Um, a lot of times users, dealers may not even know they have lethal doses of fentanyl. Um, and fentanyl is about 50 to 100 times more potent. Right than heroin, and then you have the analogs. And you mentioned carfentanil, and um, you're right on track with that. Carfentanil is something veterinarians use, so it's prescribed. Animal tranquilizer, it is 10,000 times more potent than morphine. Carol Burkett uh, Burkett is our guest. She's the director of the Orange County Drug-Free Office, has been uh, with that office since 2005. What about the price for this particular substance? Is it going down or going up? It's still very cheap. It's still very cheap. Um, High purity level. From and DEA is the ones who track this. They get samples and test it. So unfortunately, still very high purity level and still very cheap to get for people. Were we blindsided? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but were we blindsided just a little bit? With you know, we had the pill mills here in Central Florida. We cracked down. You know, after after a while, law enforcement really began that crackdown on pill mills. Well, was heroin? Did heroin just come into the marketplace to take its place, so to speak? Is that is that essentially what happened? I would I would absolutely have to agree with you on that because when we look at look back at the data and I mentioned 950 you know heroin related deaths in 2016 in 2010 we only had 48 in 2010 that was the height of our prescription drug problem yeah. so you didn't need to buy heroin off the street you could get it from an illegal pill mill operation a mm-hmm. rogue pharmacy you know the story until 2012 when legislation was passed crackdowns happened with those illegal operations the source of that medication just dried up. And then heroin definitely came back on our streets. Um, And law enforcement really started to see that pick up in 2014. So once again, Orange County, where is it ranking in the state of Florida and the major metropolitan areas as far as heroin use or or overdoses or 911 responses, if you can keep track of that? I don't even know whether agencies even keep track anymore of the times they've responded to a drug overdose. We, you know, we do, and I, I wish I had a comparison. I can probably give you the best on the mortality, the, the deaths, okay. but um, when we look at our emergency response, those EMS um, men and women that are out there saving lives, and they always look at a suspected overdose, we went from about 500 calls in 2014 to over 1,200 calls in 2017. No kidding. Where it's suspected overdose. So we've seen the jump. We've seen it in our hospitals with our ED admissions increase. Um, so we know it's something that luckily law enforcement is getting there. They're saving people before we have an overdose related death. 
but it is taking its toll on our emergency departments as well. Yeah, we talked to uh, the first three interviews. Uh, we we interviewed addicts and recovering addicts, and uh, and in, and I keep saying nobody gets out of bed in the in the morning and says I want to become a drug addict. Very true. Um, do you have any kind of research about essentially what is happening? Is it people just for one reason or another had pain? They were on pills. Pills dried up, and plus. One of the one of the persons told us that the heroin heroin was less expensive than pills. I think you hit on everything that we've looked at um, to try to find what those answers are, why we have the problem that we have, mm-hmm. and and you just you really hit the nail on the head. I think because of the proliferation of pill mill clinics and you know illegal operations, there was people going in for legitimate pain, sure. and doctors were over prescribing because they were told in the mid nineties these drugs were not addictive. Correct. So, it, you know, that just led to 30 and 60 and 90 day prescriptions of very addictive pain medications. So you do feel for those people that took it just as a doctor recommended and got addicted. And an opioid is an opioid. So if you're addicted to a prescription pain medication, heroin is the same. And thing. when the prescription runs out and there are no more pills at the end of the bottle, then they resort to trying to buy it on the street and buy something that's probably even more lethal. Absolutely. Yeah. They're just that craving. Again, it's going to that addiction, that craving, the way your brain and chemistry changes you. That's the only thing you're thinking about is getting your next fix and you will do anything. And when you hear testimonials from and from the folks you've had on your show Mm -hmm. that they would say, I never would have put a needle in my arm. And now they're putting, you know, they put a needle in their arm because the rush is so much more euphoric and the highs better and it gets there faster. I think what a lot of people don't understand is, is the withdrawal. And as it's been described on this program by the people we've interviewed, they say it's like having the flu 10 times or a hundred times worse. And anybody who's had the flu, just that got the regular flu. If you could take something that would eradicate it immediately, you would. You're, you're in contact with a lot of first responders, I'm sure, and law enforcement and the fire departments. I mean, do they, what do they say? Is it getting, do they believe it's getting worse? Is it stabilized? Is it static? Is it getting better? I, I would imagine it's getting better in their response and treating people who have overdosed. Absolutely. But has but the, the number of responses increased? Yes. I think we have seen, and, and something the sheriff had a, a press conference on, Sheriff Demings, he saw an increase just the first six weeks of, of this year, of 2018. Mm-hmm. He had over 156 drug overdoses. Not all of those were opioid, but just drug sure. overdoses. Sure, sure. Um, and luckily, you know, all of his folks are now carrying naloxone so they can provide that life-saving medication. But we did have nine deaths, and that was up when he looked at that same time frame last year. Um, so in response to that, when you mentioned fire rescue pulling in those first responders, it was really in a concentrated area. It was... Holden Heights, OBT, right. Americana, and our firefighters and recruits, we had about 130 went out and put out 7,000 door hangers. They were knocking on doors, letting people know that this is a problem, this is an epidemic in our county, and if you do know someone that needs help, call 211, a place to go for get treatment resources, and what to do in an overdose situation. You know, Immediately call 911. Follow whatever that dispatcher says and stay with that person, which is critical. Very good. Carol Burkett is our guest. She is the director of the Orange County Drug-Free Office. We'll continue this conversation. It's the Phillips File on Real Radio 104.1. 
iHeartRadio is the easy-to-use app for music and radio. Download the free iHeartRadio app today. From to Phillips File for this uh, Wednesday, March 21st in the year 2018. We are continuing our series of interviews that aim to ascertain the seriousness of uh, opioid and heroin addiction in Central Florida. Our guest today, interview number four, is Carol Burkett. She is the director of the Orange County Drug-Free Office, has been with that office since 2005. If you were to put a score on how serious the problem is in Orange County, I know you can't speak for the surrounding four counties, even though you might have an idea of what their, the level of, of seriousness the problem is in, in those counties but in orange county itself orlando the metro orlando area orange county itself if you were to score it one through ten what's the what's the level of seriousness are we at a five and eight where where would you rank it right now it's is very serious and and i would say talking to law enforcement whether it's a sheriff's office or opd or mbi this is the only thing they're working on the streets is heroin and fentanyl related cases so mm-hmm. It's it's just consuming what they do. Not that there are other drug related issues out there that they work, but this is their primary uh, role in enforcement is going after these folks that are dealing these drugs. I don't want to put you in a in a political hot seat because okay. that's I mean that's that's not your concern. But you know, in our first three interviews, we talked to addicts, recovering addicts, of course. And there's always a concern whether resources are being put in the right place as far as recovery, whether it's a methadone program and some of the addicts say that's, that wasn't for them. I, what's, your, what's your overview of that? Are we, are we doing enough? Or what, what do, does more money need to be, go to law enforcement? Or do we need more money for rehabilitation? Or are we just not funding enough in, in both areas? I think some good news, since I've been talking a lot about statistics and and mortality deaths. So some good news is what just recently passed, Mr. Phillips, with House Bill 21 really provides some additional treatment dollars that we desperately need in our community as well as communities across Florida. Um, In 2017, Florida was the recipient of $54 million Mm -hmm. in treatment dollars. So it went to medication-assisted treatment, whether it was methadone, Suboxone, Vivitrol, and all those supportive services that went with that. so this house bill that was just signed has $65 million that will go into treatment resources and uh, residential care, detox for that patient. Because not everyone's ready for outpatient. They may need to be detoxed first, go into residential, and go through that continuum of care. Uh, it also provides support services within our emergency departments, which we need that, and more peer recovery specialists. So those people in long-term recovery are the great folks that can talk to someone who's at that point, maybe at a critical stage of wanting to change their life. And so funding's allocated for that. Um, It also gives law enforcement more money for naloxone, that life-saving medication, because now it's taking, talking to law enforcement, it's not one dose, it's two, three, four doses sometimes to to bring someone back, yes. Walk walk me through the process or the audience through the process. Uh, A drug addict calls, uh, what is it, 211 they can call? 211 is is something that we promote a lot. It's United Way's information helpline. It's 24-7, completely confidential. Okay, ring, um, ring, ring. I'm an addict. I need help. Right, right. Then what happens? So you're talking to, um, and you could be referred to a counselor, but you're talking to a specialist who can give you resources based on what your needs are, mm-hmm. based on what your income is. If you have insurance, then they're going to walk you through that process. If you're indigent, uninsured, underinsured, then they can tell you who in our community has those programs that are free or for little to no cost that you can 
schedule your appointment and I say appointment, really an assessment. And we need to get people into those assessments and into treatment as quickly as possible. Your experience are, you know, we, we have stereotypes of people, whether they're alcoholics or whether they're drug addicts in, in, in your experience, I mean, are, are, are most the addicts working? Are they, are they, are they working addicts? A lot of, I've heard that yes. in any workplace, there's a very good chance that you are working near someone who's an addict. You just don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of people that are functioning because it's no longer about that high they received. Right. It's about that new normal and not going through that awful withdrawal right. process. Okay. That so a lot of people can function and be able to use and still you know, okay. maintain their job, maintain their employment, which I know is important. Um, and in the same respect, a lot of them don't have the time or can't leave that job to go into treatment. So it's really, it's, it's a tough situation, uh, depending on if they're the breadwinner for that family, you know, going into a 30 day residential program is difficult when you're the one bringing the money. Are we missing anything? I mean, are they, sometimes I wonder whether there are too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. I mean, and you have to deal with it because of your position, you have law enforcement, you have uh, first responders and fire departments and this agency and that agency and two one one. I mean, the private it, sector is, it, is trying to get in it too. Right? Is, yeah. Is it? I mean, is it? Is it fairly well coordinated? Now, I would imagine you would say so. Yes, it is. But I'm just, you know, I, I sometimes wonder whether there's so many, so many dots to connect. Whether we can really get a handle on this. You know, I would. You're absolutely right. There's a lot of important players at the table, and I think that's what the Mayor, Mayor Jacobs did so well and Sheriff Demings co-chaired that task force because they brought all those players together right. and they each worked in their respective roles. But what I loved about working with law enforcement was they said, we need treatment at the table with us. So they weren't just working in their silo. They really wanted to understand more about treatment. Now they're out there saving lives every day mm -hmm. with providing that naloxone. And I'm actually getting calls from them saying, can you connect this person to treatment? because they've been out to a house maybe five or six times and they're worried about this person, you know, not being alive the next time they come out. So I think it's, it's worked so well with that coordination piece. And, you know, that was over a six month process of putting everyone together uh, to see that we have 37 recommendations. We're still working on, we're still meeting as an advisory council, 37 recommendations that came out of the heroin task force. Yes. And can you give us an idea what some of those recommendations yes, are? So one of the one of the most important ones that we've been talking about was equipping law enforcement with naloxone. Right. And that was almost immediately before the task force ended. Sheriff Deming said, yes, we are first responders. They will have naloxone. Um, so, the so the sheriff's department has it. And Do the municipal police departments have it as well? Orlando Police Department has it. And since then, UCFPD actually was the very first one. No kidding. Yep. Yeah, they got a grant and say they were the first ones on campus uh, to have it. I think maybe the second university in the state to uh, to have naloxone. And we've seen other municipalities come on board. And here's another little bit of good news. We received in Orange County, we were the only grant in the state. We got $2 million recently from a SAMHSA grant. And part of that grant will be able to fund those other municipalities that want to participate in this naloxone program, uh, we will now have funding to help them equip and train um, and provide those those best practices so they can do exactly what Sheriff and OPD and the others are but, doing. Uh, yeah, look into your crystal ball. I mean, I understand you want to put a positive spin. I mean, that's part of that. Yeah, I, sure. I mean, I, I understand that. But when you look into the crystal ball and 
you know what's going on, not just in Central Florida or in Orlando, Orange County. You know what's going on in the rest of the nation as well. I don't get the ideas getting that much better anywhere. It's not. No, I mean, I, I think it's going to take us a while to is get this, out of this. Is just something that we as citizens, hey, this is going to be around for a while. We have to deal with it somehow. You know, and, and unfortunately, every year I get a, a CDC report. And Mr. Phillips, last year it was... In 2015, we had 52,000 people die from drug overdoses, and the majority of those were opioids. Now it's 64,000 people died from drug overdoses. In 2016, 42,000 was just opioids. So that means 115 people are dying every single day in the United States because of opioids. Mm. And that's heroin, that's fentanyl, that's prescription pain medication. Um, so when, when I'm asked that question, we didn't get here overnight, so we're not going to get out of it overnight. It's going to be, it's going to take us a while. I think the the practices and, and the folks we have in place and the committees, I think will help us get there. Absolutely. But it's, it's, it's going to be a long You know, haul. if we had a bridge and 52,000 people died because the bridge collapsed, we'd, we'd be spinning out of control and really angry about what caused this. We have 52,000 Americans, if not more. I read a figure today yeah. in the New York Times. It might be 68,000 Americans. Who knows? It's climbing. It seems they're dropping like flies. And But why do you think that many Americans you know, or citizens, they, just, they, this, they say, this is not my problem? It's still. Why, why should I be worried about this? this is yeah. not a problem. I, I'm not addicted to anything. This is a, this is a moral judgment they've made, and exactly. uh, they made this themselves. So they have to they have to live with it. I'm not going to help out. I think the stigma is is what makes people that I know in recovery don't come out to say they're in recovery because they look at folks that have been addicted or currently addicted as just a moral failing. You did mm-hmm. it, like you said, you did it to yourself, not knowing that person's history, not knowing they received that legitimate prescription. And not everyone's going to get addicted, but you could be genetically predisposed to addiction. So not being able to walk in that person's shoes, we're sometimes quick to um, to critique and, and, and be negative on this until it affects your family or someone you know. And then you start to see people turn around and really look at this problem differently and want to help. You've talked to a number, uh, I'm certainly, uh, certainly talked to a number of recovering addicts or addicts. If you could explain to the audience, because I'm just trying to hammer this home, they've explained to you what it's like to try to, try to withdraw, the, whether it's cold turkey, they do it, try to do it themselves. And the, the, the odds of succeeding at that are very, very slim, I would imagine. If you could explain to the audience, I mean, based on what addicts and recovering addicts have told you about the process of withdrawal or what they go through during withdrawal, so people get a better idea of the physical ramifications that keep them going back to this addiction. Yes. Um, the withdrawal process is very, very, um, it's a horrible process. I wouldn't want to go through. It is yeah, because people say, look, I smoke cigarettes. I was addicted to nicotine. Right. Took me three days a weekend uh, and boom, um, I don't smoke anymore. What's the problem? Yeah, it's um, it's to tell you the, the extremity of the problem. When people are booked into Orange County Jail and they're addicted to heroin, mm-hmm. they absolutely tell that nurse at triage at booking, I'm addicted because they don't want to go through the withdrawal process without medication mm-hmm. because that really helps them. <coughs> Excuse me. As I'm coughing here, it helps them go through that process because it is painful. Um, no one, according to you know research, no one will die from this withdrawal process, but you will feel like you're going to. Right. So knowing that if you've ever gone through withdrawal, you've been booked in the county jail, you've been there for more than seven, ten days, you've gone through withdrawal. 
you don't want to go through that again. Unless you're ready to go to treatment, you're going to make sure you always have a fix ready just to keep your new level of normal, not to get high anymore. You just don't want to go through that withdrawal process. And it'll take some time. And I think that's hard for families and loved ones that want their their loved one to go into treatment and they just might not be ready yet to make that commitment because it's a it's work when you go into treatment there's work that has to be done by that mm-hmm. person um it's rewarding at the end when you make it and you're in recovery and you're in long-term recovery and you can share your story with others but um it's a difficult process do you have any statistics on people who i mean they go through recovery but relapse do we have any idea the the percentage is it you know three out of ten or nine out of ten relapse and it takes a certain number of times of relapsing before they can finally they just finally get over that line i know when and you just mentioned this when you try to go cold turkey with this mm-hmm. it, it doesn't work and the medication assisted treatments that we do have three of those that are fda approved you have a much higher success rate of being successful in treatment and not relapsing if you don't go through that process then 80 to 90 percent will relapse it, it just it, it won't work you you want to think you can do it yourself you right. feel better now you're detoxed everything's out of your system you know you're going to make the right choices it's it's really it's not that easy because your brain has just changed dramatically from this drug so it's it's the medication assisted treatment it's the counseling that has to happen and that's over a you know a period of time that doesn't happen overnight right. for some it's six nine 12 months before. Carol Burkett is our guest. She is the director of the Orange County Drug-Free Office, has been with that office since 2005. Before we let you go, is there anything else coming up that, you know, it always seems that one drug comes along, we push it aside somehow through law enforcement, or sometimes it's pushed aside because there's another substance that comes along to take its place. We had uh, we had uh, the pills, the opioids. Then we had heroin. Then we had heroin mixed with fentanyl. Then it's fentanyl. Are we looking at anything else on the horizon? Where because I better better watch out, folks, because something else is is coming our way. You know, I think it's it's just the fentanyl analogs, and it's really trying law enforcement trying to catch up with all of those mm-hmm. that are continuing to come out. Again, it's you know it's these clandestine labs that are tweaking these chemical compounds. Some more potent, some less potent. They just don't know what's in them until they can analyze them. And we've gone from 12 a couple of years ago to now we have over 40 different fentanyl analogs that are out there in our community. Um, so it's dangerous. And that's that's still probably the biggest focus is just fentanyl and those analogs. And this is dangerous for law enforcement as well, isn't it? They, if, they can, if they just come in contact with these substances, it can cause them physical damage. Can it not? Absolutely. They're, they're instructed to take their precautions in addressing this. Um, when they would go into, you know, a drug house and they're, you know, searching for drugs and mm-hmm. it, they are now taking just extreme precautions. I mean, even closing a baggie that has potentially fentanyl in it, having that airborne right. that could get into your system and cause, you know, overdose symptoms. All right, Jack has a question. Yeah, Carol, some uh, listeners texting in talking about how cost prohibitive uh, recovery, at least private recovery centers can be. If someone's listening, they know they have a problem or a family member who does. What are some of the options for them to getting treatment for their family? No, I yeah, I absolutely agree with you. So I have some good news on the private side as well. Um, But two one one, I would still refer people to two one one. And tell them, you know, you're looking for um, opioid treatment program and, you know, no insurance, you're indigent, you're uninsured. And then we also have Central Florida CARES Health System. 
And they're the ones that license and provide funding for these opioid treatment programs. And we have six in the Central Florida area that are receiving these state dollars and are providing that funding to the uninsured, underinsured. Um, but because of the amount of money that we do have, and, and just to be able to increase capacity, the Department of Children and Families is now going to work with for-profit providers mm-hmm. that have opioid treatment programs that are doing medication-assisted treatment so they can get these dollars and help serve that population that doesn't have the money, that can't, they might have insurance, but they can't meet their deductible to go into that, that private um, that private provider. So um, so I was glad to see that. That just recently came out, and I'm letting all the private providers we work with um, to explore that possibility with the Department of Children and Families because that's something new we haven't seen here. And 211 is available anyone in the Central Florida area? Anyone in the Central Florida area, dial 211. They can text 211 uh, with their zip code. They can chat. They can go online, website. There's a lot of different resources, but it is completely confidential. 24-7, and 211 also operates our crisis hotline as well. Very good. Hey, Carol, thanks for dropping by this afternoon. Thank you A lot you of so great much. information. If you have anything you can pass on to Mo, maybe other people that you think we ought to talk to in this process of these interviews for the remainder of the year, Absolutely. We, we'd appreciate it. And best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Carol Burkett, who is the director of the Orange County Drug-Free Office since 2005. It's the Phillips File on Real Radio 104.1.